The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, I, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a professor of sociology at Texas A&M University and the author of a new book, um, All Societies Die, by Samuel Cohn, who joins me by phone. Hi, Samuel. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here. Um, now the, uh, let's see, I thought I saw somewhere the title of the book. All Societies Die, How to Keep Hope Alive. Yeah, that's what I was looking for was the, the, uh, subtitle, thanks. Um, so uh, the idea that all societies die, um, is a little depressing for some people. It's nice that you acknowledge that there's still reason for hope well it's um did you think about it our own death is kind of depressing for people and i wrote the book to some extent because I mean, you can't see me on the radio but i'm actually an older gentleman um so people would question the gentleman part but i'm certainly older <laughs> and i was watching myself age and watching myself essentially get weaker and stupider and you get the aches and pains that old people get. And I started to think about, well, you know, sociologists know that there's kind of a deep relationship between what happens at the personal level and what happens at the grand historical level. And so I thought, gee, if I'm getting old and at risk of death, the societies are the same thing. So I started looking up the lifelines of societies and trying to figure how old we were. The longest I could run for a society having stayed alive 
Roman Empire pushes to about near 900 years, and there's an unbroken series of Chinese dynasties that does about the same thing starting at the Song Dynasty. So not you could call it 900, but let's generously call it 1,000. What about the British Empire? British Empire, well, the British Empire was a, a, very short, if you really think about it. The British Empire was actually shorter than our current, um, you know, the current society we have started in Flanders and northern Italy in like the 1300s. And our society is unusual in that it's been based on multiple nations. I'll get back to the British Empire question, but British Empire is shorter than the society we actually have. The... Um, if you take a look at that whole Western European soon to move to America world system, where most of the globe got caught up in a nonstop rise of economic growth, you know, since about 1350, GDP's kind of gone up like every decade by a lot. Scientific progress goes up by a lot. That's been going on for about 700, 750 years. If the normal lifeline is 900, or a thousand, that means we are in later middle age. Now, if you want to look at the British Empire per se, and keep in mind on British Empire, Britain was rich and prosperous long before it went into the imperialism bid. So, in the days of the Spanish Armada, Britain is the 98-pound weakling who Spain can beat all over. And they're kind of stuck out in their island, and all the big powers are down on the continent. They don't really get imperial powers. They get some colonial powers in the 1600s, but it's not really until they beat the Dutch navally in the 1700s that they really get to be number one top dog. Now, how long did that last? Well, technically, some of that still goes because Britain has hardly fallen, right? Britain is alive and well and rich today, and their GDP keeps going up. They're technological wizards. They have influence all over the world, although they're not hegemonic. They're not the number one power, but they're rich enough, thank you very much. But technically, the period where they were really running all these colonies and controlling the world, call it, if you will, maybe 1600s for the first slave colonies, and then by World War II, they have to divest from most of these, except for a couple of trivial places. If you insisted that was a unit, that's only 300. And if you thought that the life of a society was 300 years, then you'd be really depressed because we're way older than that now. So if you don't want to be depressed, don't use the British Empire. Use something like uh, the, the Western European world system. That's, that's a longer and more cheerful story. Now, now Samuel, you suggest that um, the, the society that we live in in the U.S. actually predates um, the colonies. Absolutely. What, Where it apps, yeah. How, how do you determine the start date? Well, start date is very, very hard. Like if you were to ask, you know, the middle, you know, the end of the Middle Ages didn't just come at a big date where there was a party. Like no one got mail <laughs> notifications called "finish your Middle Ages business for the next ten years" because it goes out at uh, January first, thirteen fifty one. You know, it doesn't work. That way. it's a slow morph. It's a transition. You know, life was not all that, you know, for many people, life was not all that different in 1325 and 1375. But by that sense, if you talk about 
when you talk about a societal death, you talk about dramatic economic decline, like really huge economic decline. When you talk about fall of Rome, that's a societal death. Massive economic decline, massive decrease in government capacity, massive decrease in technology. So certainly the Romans were able to build aqueducts that could bring water all the way from the Alps down to the city of Rome. They had all these marvelous buildings. In the Middle Ages, in the early start, before they got to the Gothic cathedral point, Gothic cathedrals were like 1200s, 1300s, most of all they could handle is a small little round tower. That's about all the technology they had. They could not build the Roman roads that are still good today. You know, the Roman roads were incredible. Mo you know, a lot of that science or technology was lost and had to be relearned in the Renaissance. So if you take effective government reduction in crime, that also occurs. Crime went way up after fall of Rome. People were no longer safe. If you look at prosperity, peace, technological progress, and increases of government capacity, pretty much through the entire period from 1300, most of the wealthy societies and many of the poorer societies have been steadily gaining those. And so, if you will, think it, the, Brit, the Brit, United States borrowed its legal system from Britain, but both the United States and Britain are seeing substantial economic growth that continues 1600, 1700, 1800, 1900. The governments get bigger. They steadily take on more tasks. So a colonial government of the 1600s might have just handled the ports and handled court cases like divorces or public drunkenness trials. Uh, by the 1800s, both England and the United States have governments that are building railways for the point of view of economic development or building canals for economic development. The kinds of militaries they can put forward are much more impressive in 1800 where they have large mass armies. Then you have in 1700, you have a bunch of guys with red uh, suits running around, and the most you can get is 100 people to fire on someone all at once. That's uh, considered a huge force. The whole nature of everything government wants to do changes. The amount of law changes, and certainly science and technology changes. You know, all that stuff that Ben Franklin is doing, flying the kite out in the thunderstorm, and they're discovering electricity and engineering and doing amazing tricks over in Britain. They're inventing railways. They're inventing steel. They're inventing new ways to do coal mining. There's the Industrial Revolution. And note that England and the United States have the Industrial Revolution at the same time, generally using the same machinery. It really is an integrated unit. And so in a very real way, a world system often transcends the borders of nation states. And, th you know, you, you know the cliche, think globally? Yeah. Well, we've developed a world society. Our society is now more than any one government. And because of that, you have to think about the operation of all of the governments in the large system we call capitalism. Capitalism is a global system. It's responsible for most of our prosperity. It is truly international in scope. And it's that international web of cooperation, that global web of cooperation that makes for societal prosperity and societal growth 
it's collapse of that global web and the shrinkage of the global web that causes societies to die. So you want to think a little bit less about the flag flying over your country and more about the entire system of global education and global economic growth and global culture that represents the power that we have today. Does that mean as Britain goes, so goes the U.S. and vice versa? We're, we're, we're all in one rowboat, and people vary in pecking order. But let's take the quote-unquote fall of Britain. And you can find many gloomy books about um, Britain was weaker after World War II than it was after World War One. So, you know, P.V. Entertainer and thoughts about the failure of British hegemony and the climacteric of English economic growth. But for all of the whining and hand-wringing by British scholars about we're not number one, where would you rather live? If you could be born as a child, as a citizen in any one society, would you rather live in Afghanistan as an Afghani or as a Briton? Just in term, now, you may find the culture of Afghanistan lovely, and there's many positive features about their world and their society, but in terms of pure standard of living, Britain has got one of the top ten standards of living in the world. Their citizens enjoy lifespans longer than most people in the world. They have access to all this wonderful technology. The universities are among some of the best in the world. So it's not a horrible, terrible fate to be a Briton under Boris Johnson in 2021, even if they're not technically number one power. And, and what about the U.S. then? How about the U.S.? Well... The issue is we're not really, you know, it's, you could imagine what I would call a peaceful transfer of power within the world system. However, that's not the only thing that's on the menu. Let's imagine one hypothetical scenario that could happen. The next great invention comes from China. China develops technology that we don't. They get the strongest economy. They get the ability to dictate world affairs to their sense. But essentially, assume with that, they stay within the capitalist system and the world keeps growing. Well, that's about the same thing that happened to Britain when first Germany outflanked them and then the United States outflanked them. So the United States would then be a fifth best or sixth best country with standards of living that were okay and that'd be okay. The problem would be if there were to be a major paralysis of capitalism. There were to be, and you think about the fall of Rome, or in China what are called warring states periods, where the empire, the emperor loses control of the nation. The nation breaks down into multiple small units, and there's constant warfare between the multiple small units. In Europe, during the Middle Ages, all of these small political units were fighting each other with nonstop violence. Samuel, I have to put a pause here. I need to take a short break. Can you stick around for a few minutes? Because I want to talk about this. I certainly can. One. All right. My guest is Samuel Cohn. He's author of a book called All Societies Die. Uh, how to Keep Hope Alive. We'll be back uh, after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with uh, Professor of Sociology from Texas A&M University and author of All Societies Die, Samuel Cohn. Samuel, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Yeah, those are good commercials. They're better than ones I get down here in Texas. <laughs> good, good. Um, Samuel, during the last segment, uh, we were talking about one of the things that's fascinating about your book is most of us really do think in terms of nationalism and national borders and, and under a particular flag, but you um, point out that societies transcend those borders and, and that uh, we may be part of a larger society than we typically think. But a lot of people are starting to look at what's happening in the U.S., and, I, and I'll just pick on this one example what happened at the Capitol on January 6th but um, there are a number of domestic terrorism incidents and things that people look at and and they're looking at what seems to be uh, an ineffectual Congress and and they're thinking that that the nation is in danger of, of uh, decline and death um, what are the things that we should, um, and you touched on this in the last segment, but what are the things that we should be looking at, or are we looking at the right things and coming to the right conclusions? You are, your question is profound, and you see the exact nature of what's going on, except it's not just America. It's happening in India. It's happening in Brazil. It's happening in Europe. Globally, the world is factionalizing, just as it is in the United States, although the assault on the Capitol was pronounced. And I would say things might be more polarized in the United States than they are in many other countries. And you correctly identify the larger the web of cooperation, the more things that web of cooperation can accomplish. Once people start breaking into smaller factions, the web of cooperation becomes smaller and things stop working. So you yourself, in the way you posed the question, made a deep diagnosis. We like to blame just, oh, it's those guys, it's the red staters who seize the capital. But in fact, the blue staters have been pretty uncooperative with the reds, just that the reds have been uncooperative with the blues. And, and the thing e- that I in, find... You know, even in Michigan, you're well familiar with some of the high division that exists within the state between liberals and conservatives. And it is, as you point out, it has led to congressional paralysis, which means that the jobs of government can't be done. We went into near paralysis where just by the skin of our teeth we might be able to repair bridges. If we can't even get the government to repair bridges, how the heck are we supposed to count on the government to address more deep challenges like global warming? 
And, and that's a question that a lot of people are asking now. And I guess what I want to bring into this is when you talk about the paralysis in the U.S., though it may be more pronounced here than other places, it's happening in other places. What about the distrust of government and and agencies and officials, but but also this this new fairly recent notion of science denying. All of this is this. This you are looking at the most dangerous bullets we're facing, because a distrust of government combined with a defunding of government. In America, we're doing it legally by cutting taxes. In a country like Brazil or a country like Italy or Greece, you just don't pay. You simply don't send your check in or you simply lie in your return and they never catch you. Either way, when you distrust, you don't obey, you don't pay, the government can't do its job. And you can see it in the pandemic. Places where people trust the government and they listen to scientific authority. Well, look at Taiwan, look at New Zealand. These are places who beat the pandemic. In Canada, they're beating the pandemic. In places where there's high skepticism of government, the United States and Brazil are notable cases, the everything rages on because no one will listen to advice and no one will even let the government do its job. And they even have members of the government trying to prevent other members of the government from doing their job. So I'm in a state in Texas where the governor is telling his state policemen to arrest federal officers doing their job enforcing federal law. That's not exactly what you call team spirit here. So this widespread and the distrust of government and the withdrawal of funds from government produces a government that can't do anything, and it also produces corruption. Once government officials are absolutely helpless, once government officials can't do anything, then individual people who want to divert money for other purposes tend to do it. So you have a reverse of that in Singapore, where the government used to be very effective and then it got very effective, and all of these idealistic, excited technocrats stopped taking bribes and started following the strict and narrow line because they were thrilling to be a part of building this brand new golden city, which is what Singapore became. And then you look at, say, such things as the... Uh, uh, the f former Soviet Union countries, which were semi-sort of effective, though God knows they were oppressive, authoritarian, and awful on human rights and weak on economic growth. But once those governments fell apart, many, many of them developed levels of corruption that they'd never seen under the Iron Curtain because a lot of the government officials thought it was a joke and they just started lining their own pockets. So you're going to be looking at corruption, ineffective, and nothing getting done and the jobs that government does are what keeps your economy alive. The government stimulates economic growth. The government stops diseases from killing people. The government runs the educational system. America is not going to be a dominant technological force if the education system falls apart. In Kansas, 
they recently had to put the professors on furlough at the universities and have them work three days a week without using their email or coming to the office or meeting with students on the other two days. Why? Because they didn't have any money. Kansas, which used to have a university system that was pretty good, is self-destructing its own university system. How does Kansas compete in the world economy if we have so much distrust of universities and higher education, we cut it off, leading to technological helplessness in the face of other people who've invested in more education and more expertise. And Samuel, you mentioned when we were talking earlier in the previous segment about the impact of, of technology when uh, societies are in a growth mode and uh, like like you just mentioned with the with the colleges in Kansas and and certain other things that are breaking down the the apparent paralysis in Washington and Lansing and and uh, state capitals around the country um, I've talked to political scientists about some of these things and the question I ask is can you put the toothpaste back in the tube and by and large they're skeptical. They don't think so. And my question then to you is, of course, that leads to writing a book like All Societies Die. But where do you find hope in what seems like hopelessness? Well, just think about the, the fact that you asked that very question, that you see the society going off the rails and you want to do something about it. I'm talking about you, Tom Sumner, personally. As everyday people see what's going on and see this is unacceptable, you start creating a wellspring opinion for let's make things work again. And a lot of this depends because politicians reflect what their supporters think, what their supporters do. There's a Japanese phrase, it's, from a, it's a Japanese philosophical phrase, but it's a wise one. When the minds of the people are impure, the land is impure. There's no pure land without pure minds. In this regard, when people want to fight, when people distrust, when whites hate blacks, or reds hate blues, or blues hate reds, and let's not forget that in America, many of our disputes are ethnic. They're either white versus black, or they're often Anglo versus uh, Latinx. And, and, and recently, hostility, the politicians play to it. And recently, Asians. A a Asians are now being worked into the mix. But, and, you know, look, once my thing was even First Nations. Okay. Will you take all of that ethnic hostility, and politicians play off it, and then you can get elected by really, really, really ramping up your game on the ethnic war. And that's currently what's happening in India, where one of the strongest functional democracies that had impressive rates of education and growth is paralyzing itself on Hindu-Muslim splits. Where Cyprus, which should have marvelous European properties of growth, is in complete paralysis because of Greek-Turkish splits. Sri Lanka, which is once one of the finest welfare states and poverty-reducing states in Asia, that island at the end of India that's divided between the, Tamil, between the Tamils and the Sinhalese, they got into a giant fight, Tamil versus Sinhalese, and all of that social progress was wiped out. 
the ethnic divisions that lead to people breaking into camps and fighting each other puts an absolute break on progress. But if people say we're not going to take it anymore, it stops. In Northern Ireland, where the Protestants and Catholics were fighting each other for all of those years, those housewives going out onto the streets between the Protestant and Catholic neighborhoods and banging on their pots and demanding that the men stop fighting and the two sides get together and do something, but the social force that allowed a diplomatic settlement to be reached. People have been pushing for peace in Sri Lanka. There are people who don't like what we're seeing, so that just as you're appalled by the splits and I'm appalled by the splits, lots of us are appalled by the splits. So getting up and supporting people who are not going to play to national factionalism and telling the government officials and our elected officials to get back to work and do their jobs. And I think that there are plenty of people who are still spoiling for a fight, and they're spoiling for a fight in both the left and the right sides of the line. The people who are willing to dialogue, the people who are willing to go purple, in Northern Ireland, both Protestant and Catholic housewives march next to each other, banging their pots. We need our red staters and our blue staters, our Democrats and Republicans, to walk together, banging their pots, but talking to each other, looking for common grounds of agreement, looking for things that we can all agree needs to get done, even if we agree to disagree on other points. And if individual people do this, and if they create a culture where other people do this, you recreate a healthy spirit of cooperation that allows blood to start flowing through the veins again. Samuel, in your book, uh, All Societies Die, you look at the collapse of societies throughout history um, as a way of, of sort of helping us to focus on the fact that the society that the U.S. is a part of now is in decline, and and at some point it will die. It'll age out and, and collapse. But in your look at these societies that have collapsed, what happens in the wake? What What should we plan for in the aftermath of a societal okay. collapse in the aftermath so, well actually what you well what what you should plan for you could be asking what you should do to fix things or you could be asking what happens if you're experiencing what's it like to undergo a death and what does life look like post death what life looks like post death and what things would probably look like in our own case because remember we're our technologies are different. We have a far different world than the Romans well, had or the let me, Chinese had. Samuel, let me rephrase that a little bit. Um, okay. You know, can we prevent collapse? Oh, yes. And if not, what do we do in the aftermath? Okay. Remember that you can always rebuild. And if you take a look at how long death periods last... The European Middle Ages, running from about 400 to about 1300, was a nice 900-year period of utter lack of growth and chaos. The European Middle Ages was one of the longest warring states periods 
in human history. The Europeans made a bigger hash of the Middle Ages than the Chinese made of their Warring States period where the Egyptians handled between the fall of the Old Kingdom and the rise of the Middle Kingdom. Um, interregnums can last anywhere from 40 to 50 years if you're lucky, or maybe more like 200 to 300 years. How do you make a chaotic period end quickly? You rebuild the government. You work on maintaining economic activity no matter what, and that's often challenging. You work on cutting... The, we haven't talked much on the show about crime. Crime goes sky high after a fall. You work on regulating and controlling the crime. You work on maintaining the lost arts and lost technology of the previous civilization. In the Middle Ages, literacy was practically nothing. Uh, people had totally forgotten, had no access to any of the learning of the Greeks or Romans, which had to be rediscovered in the Renaissance. Well, people don't have to be that much slow learners. They can do their best to self-educate. You know, we're gonna, even after we fall, we're going to leave a lot of books, we're going to leave a lot of computer files, we're going to leave a lot of stock of inherited knowledge, maintaining and fueling that. And so it is actually very possible to re rebirth societies and recreate like a phoenix, new ones rising from the ashes. And it consists of the same processes that uses societies to grow when they're in the early stages of birth approaching adolescence. What you invest economically, you educate your children, you eliminate warfare, and you create bigger and bigger political units capable of doing more and more advantageous, more and more advanced, sophisticated things, and you reduce the splits that keep people from fighting. That keep people, you reduce the splits that keep people fighting. Example, early modern Europe, a necessary precondition for the Industrial Revolution and the giant increase in growth was getting rid of the religious wars. When the Protestants and Catholics were fighting each other left and right, armies would keep coming in and trashing every city because they were the wrong religion. That one of the key things that happened in the 1600s that was and moving into the 1700s that led to the prosperity of the 1700s and the laying of the seeds for growth were passages of laws of religious tolerance. Not having cities being burnt down not because you were on the wrong side of the Catholic-Protestant split. Not taking all your merchants when they're Protestant and burning them at the stake. Not having them flee their country for your life because they're afraid they're all going to die. Allowing the Jews to stay in the country and do their business. So creating a culture of ethnic toleration, and ethnic toleration is really important here, Diversity matters, absolutely, on this one, because the most successful societies are almost always diverse. You keep the diversity, you invest in education, you invest in growth, you support and build a government, and you keep crime under control. Because what, criminals will really wreck everything. Samuel, and what that's about... how you birth a society. 
What about these, this movement of some people who, who just throw their hands up and decide to get off the grid, go find some place in the woods and grow their own food and, and just um, sort of withdraw from society? Are they contributing to the society's collapse or lessening the friction? Those have always existed. Even in the United States, one little-known feature of our history is actually Anglo people who went out into the frontier and integrated into Indian tribes because they found that a lot of the First Nation lifestyles were better. They liked them better. There have always been people who've gone to the stateless mountains. So the Caucasus has had many people who go to the Caucasus to live free. There's some great books that are... Um, the triangle between Thailand and Burma and Laos has always had people who sneak into the forest to be free. That's been a permanent feature of human life, and those numbers are generally small. Oh. Most people are, are bribable. There's higher standards <laughs> of living in the civilized sections and the wild sections, and with a small number of people enjoying the freedom of the wild, most people come down to the relative captivity of civilization because they like the nicer, nicer housing, they like the better medical care, and they like the better food. Well, Samuel, we're almost out of time, and, and I can't believe how fast the time has gone, but it's a, a fascinating conversation, and, and you're delightful to talk with. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book, uh, All Societies Die, um, how to... Uh, Keep Hope Alive is a great place to start. But um, but you've written other books and, and probably have other things in the works. Um, how can people find out more? Do you have a website? Yes, I do. Well, there's samuelcone.net, Global Social Trends, which is that's what I write for the general public, where pretty much every week a non-technical social science article appears explaining either about societal death or about other important findings in social science oriented just so that pretty much if you can read if you can read a newspaper or you can read a blog you can read this it's all very straightforward and there's stuff on every subject you can possibly think of so samuelcone.net global social trends well, Samuel, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning and uh, sharing your thoughts and your expertise with me and uh, our listeners. Okay. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for all the good work you're doing in Flint. <laughs> Take care. That was uh, Samuel Cohen, or Cohn, rather. He is a professor of sociology at Texas A&M University, and... Um, and he is also the founder and first president of the American Sociological Association section on development. He is uh, the author of a new book called All, so All Societies Die, How to Keep Hope Alive. And uh, we're going to uh, take a short break. There's still lots more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. If you're listening to us on Our Voices Radio, WFOV 92.8. LPFM in Flint, 92.1 that is, um, 
They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some Hello messages there, as well. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination. Freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. 
Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a fellow by the name of Noah, built an ark. Everybody knows he built an ark. So what did Noah do? He said, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was in his rec room sawing away. He was making a few things for the home there. He's a good carpenter. Vuba, 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 vuba. Noah. Somebody call? Vuba, vuba, vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. Right. Where I? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? <laughs> Get some wood, build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. Uh, well, don't worry about that, Noah. When you get that done, go out into the world, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. <laughs> right. Who is this really? What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? I'm going to destroy the world. Right. Am I on candid camera? How you gonna do it? Gonna make it rain for a thousand days and drown them right out. Right. Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up. 
effect of an arc on the average neighbor. Now, here's a guy going to work seven o'clock in the morning, Noah's next door neighbor, and he sees the arc. Hey, yo up there, what do you want? What is this? It's an arc. Uh-huh. You want to get it out of my driveway? I got to get to work. Listen, what's this thing for anyway? I can't tell you. Ha 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 ha. Well, I mean, can't you give me a little hint? You want a hint? Yes, please. How long can you tread water? <laughs> of course, Noah had, had a heck of a job, really. He, he had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. <laughs> and uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. We find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. <laughs> so we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. Hell, I'm sick and tired. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> sick and tired of this whole mess. If I the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me, you're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah, listen. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked up there laughing. I hear him all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an art. People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there. How you doing, Tarzan? How's everything up there? Sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery and nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom! Right on top of the all that stuff for you running around here. You're supposed to know all and see all. Like I said before, you let me go out there and do all this stuff here. You never even looked in the bottom of that ark. Have you looked down there? No. Who's going to clean up that mess down there? That's me. I'll tell you that I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm letting all these animals out, and then I'm going to burn down this ark, and I'm going to Florida somewhere because you haven't done nothing. I'm sick and tired of all this mess. You're pulling around, and you haven't done nothing except as you got it raining. It's not a shower, is it?
Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was up. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Sometimes it hits you in the back of the head. Sometimes it hits you in the back of the head. Hurts so bad. Don't want to get out of bed. Hurts so bad, no one to get out of bed. Sometimes it drops you right down to your knees. Sometimes it drops you right down to your knees. Down so low, it's got you begging to please. Down so low, it's got you begging to please. But when those days come, it's gonna be alright Cause this day is yours and yours alone Sometimes it pins your back right up to the wall Sometimes it pins your back right up to the wall Back so hard, 
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.